The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. All right, hey, good morning, everybody. I'm Doug, one of the pastors here. It's great to be with you at Parkview today. And like Jenny mentioned earlier, we are doing a series called We Believe, and we're just kind of hitting the foundational truths of uh, the Christian faith. And so today, you can see, it's about people. And basically, the truth we're believing is that people are created in the image of God. And it's, a, it's an amazing topic. And I, I told the first hour crew, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit this morning. And I think there's a couple of factors why. One, I'm just a little bit sick, you know, and so on some DayQuil, and you know what that does to you. So hang on, it could be an interesting morning, right? So uh, the Hawkeyes lost. That tends to put a kind of a gloom over this city a little bit sometimes. So maybe that's factoring in there. Maybe on a deeper level, a couple things. Um, this time last week, I knew I was going to step into a funeral of a 16-year-old from West High. I'd never met the family, and it was last Monday at 10 o'clock. I got to step in and had just some amazing things happen. I've never had like a cold turkey step into a grieving situation and just seeing God just unite me with some people and just to see God move and do some amazing things. We celebrated this, uh, this guy's life, 16-year life, characterized by many heart surgeries, and yet just a life that touched a lot of people. And so that was an honor Thursday night to celebrate that life. And then plus the topic we're looking at this morning, um, I, that's, I was just sitting in the back last hour, I was like, why, is it, why am I not ready to go? And so factor in those other things, but I think this topic, too, has such high highs. We're going to talk about how every one of us has been created in the image of God. And there's some amazing, like, glorious, like, really awesome things that that says about every one of us here, that God views us with such dignity and value in love, that we are his image bearers. And, and yet, also, when you study this topic, you just, and you look maybe at our own lives, even, and you go, wow, what a disappointment I am then. If you look at the image of God and what I could be, and you look at how I lived last week, or you look at our world today, and you just see so many consequences of rejecting the image of God and how we treat one another and what's going on. And so while there are such high moments in this topic, there can also be some very dark moments. And that's where I just think I just loved that we did communion and we celebrated Jesus because really Jesus is the hero of this subject this morning. It's Jesus who uh, came to this earth and became one of us. It's Jesus who died to rescue us so that we can, you know, reflect the image of God. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But, but really, Jesus is our hero today. And so let me pray, because uh, we, we need this topic. There are so many ways we identify ourselves. Um, we are, you know, just listen to yourself when you're introducing yourself to somebody. Um, you could start with where you're from. You could start with uh, your family status, like you married or you engaged, you have kids. Do you just, you could start there. Um, you can try to impress people what you look like and Facebook status and Instagram, all of this. Like we can put out this image and try to identify ourselves in certain ways, but we just really need to understand how amazing it is that we can be identified in, in the image of God. And that will just radically change also how we treat the people in our lives. So let me pray and we'll jump into this this awesome topic. Jesus, we do need you today because we are going to hit some glorious heights of like who we are. And it's amazing to be taught from the scriptures that we are created uniquely in the image of God to know God and, and to relate uniquely with people around us. And yet we look at our lives and we look at our world and we just see 
that that isn't happening like it could and there's brokenness and I thank you Jesus that you stepped into that brokenness and that you're going to be the hero this morning and you're going to give us hope and you're going to show us just what it means uh, to be in you and how you want to restore the image of Christ the image of God in us so would you teach us today and would you just lead us and show us what we need to know it's in your great name we pray amen all right, so if you have an outline, you can follow along. There's some scripture there that you can follow along also as I'm teaching. And um, the first point we're going to look at is that people are created in the image of God. And you see that in the very first chapter in the Bible, in Genesis 1. We're going to read verses 26 to 28 and then verse 31. And what's happened so far is that God has created heavens and earth and everything else in all of creation. And then the whole chapter comes to a crescendo as if the peak and the pinnacle of God's creation is when he created, created us, okay? So Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. If you had never read the Bible before, and if you had no idea about why you were here, what was your purpose in life, just those few words we had read would, would square you up with some amazing concepts about who you are and about why you're here. There was an atheist scientist once that estimated that the human body is worth about $100 if you just added up like the chemicals and everything that made us made up a human body. And so if you were living in a world without a view of who God is and that you were created by God, you would be sent on a whole different tangent than Genesis 1 is taking you on. You see from Genesis 1 some very foundational things. One is that you are uniquely created by the creator God to know him and to relate with other people, okay? Just, just some basic truths we just read are some things like this. Number one, you were created personally by God. If you look at how God created everything else in Genesis 1, he spoke and it came into existence. He used words and his authority to, to command their existence. But with people, he slows down and he begins to use words that we are formed. If you look at Genesis 2 as well, is that there's a personal involvement of God in the creation of man and woman. In Genesis 2, he breathes his spirit into the first man to give him life. And so throughout the scripture, you see things that, like that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that God is the potter and that we are the clay. In Ephesians chapter 2, you're going to see that we are God's workmanship. It was a word used of, of artwork, like a kid coming home from an art class, you know, is proud to show his mom and dad the, the pottery he made or the picture he painted. It's that concept, except not from an eight-year-old, but from the creator God. You have been designed and, and, and beautifully created as his masterpiece, that God would hold up every one of us and just use us as exhibit A of, of how marvelous a creation we are because of who he is and what he has done when he has made us. And so, again, there's just such lofty uh, concepts about who you are that you are created 
personally by God, and then not just that you are beautiful in how you are formed and created, but you were uniquely created by him so that he could relate to you, so that he could talk to you, so that you could know him. Like there's a personal attachment. You're not just like a piece of pottery that goes on a shelf, but he wants to live with you. He just wants to be in your life. He wants you to know him. And again, those truths just set us apart from the rest of creation. I mean, and again, I talk about my dog Bubba a lot, but like there's some clear distinctions there. Like Bubba was not, I mean, there's some pretty cool things about how Bubba's designed and wired that reflect his creator, but not to the level that we are. Bubba doesn't talk to God. I've never caught him on his knees, like praying for his mom. I never have caught him repenting of sin. He, he acts guilty because he knows he could get beat, but he doesn't like, he doesn't like confess sin. And um, he doesn't fast to get close to God. If we forget to feed him, he fasts, but that was our, cho- our you know, oversight, not his choice, right? So such clear ways that we are separate from the rest of creation because we are created personally by God to know him. Um, also, th- this text taught us that we're created by a triune God. Let us make man in our image. And over the last three weeks, we've talked about how God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God present in three persons. And so this triune God has created us also. And just like in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit have perfect relationships. They love each other. They defer to each other. They serve together. Um, They are one, even though they are three. We've been created in that image as well. And so with the capacity to relate, like I said earlier, to God and to relate to each other in such strong and powerful ways that again, I mean, I see Bubba walk in the neighborhood and sniffing around other dogs or they'll rile up to fight, but I don't see, you know, the same camaraderie among the rest of God's creation that we see, you know, among people. We're created really to have relationship with God and with each other, created by a triune God. And then the other one that jumps out at us here is that we're blessed by God. I just, I tried to slow down and say, and God blessed them. Uh, they did nothing but show up. Like they were just made, they showed up, and God blessed them. Like that right away from the beginning tells us that God is for us, that God is good to us, that God is a God who loves to bless his people. He not only made us beautiful and in his image and to know him, but then he blesses us. We have a good God. And we are the pinnacle. He considers us the pinnacle of this amazing creation that he has made. We see in there that we've been created male and female. And so just like in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all reflect an image who God is, we've been created as, as male and female, both genders fully expressing the image of God. And so when you see that beautifully played out, just like in the Trinity, different persons, distinct roles, uh, distinct um, capabilities, but yet all together as one. That's God's design for men and women, not to be, you know, in in antagonism against each other, not to have gender issues where we're fighting each other and fighting for supremacy, but, but really men and women fully reflecting the image of God and fully living out their, their unique identities and unique giftings and callings. And so we see male and female. And finally, we see that we are uniquely created to reflect God's glory. That's what it means to be an image bearer. Back in Jesus' day in the ancient Near East, um, a king would often set up statues uh, of himself all over his kingdom so that although he couldn't be physically present in every place, the people in his kingdom would know 
who is in charge, who's in rule, who's ruling this kingdom. And then what is this king like? Even just the disposition on those statues' faces or the statements under those images would communicate to his people who is in charge of you. And so in a similar way, God has unleashed people all over this planet with the unique ability to reflect who our creator is. And so theologians like to split the qualities of God into two categories. One is the incommunicable qualities, like ones we can't share with God, like being eternally existent or like being holy. There's certain things we can't be that God is, but there are certain things that are called God's communicable attributes, things that God has that we can also have. And it's our job as his image bearers to reflect those, like his goodness, his love, his grace, his mercy, uh, his forgiveness. Those things, our mission in life is to really go through this planet and just remind each other and remind this planet who's in charge. And it's, it's not us, but it's the ones who are called to reflect the image of the one who made us. And so that's an amazing calling that we have. So who we are, we're image bearers, creating the image of God, loved by him, blessed by him. And what is our mission? Our mission is to reflect the character of God as we live our lives. And so one response we ought to have out of this teaching of the image of God is just flat out awe and worship. Like, God, who are we that you would create us in such a unique role and to love us and bless us just because we are, just because you love us like you do? It's in Psalm 8, for example, where David is responding to this. Um, I imagine that he's out. I don't know if you caught the stars a couple nights this week. I imagine... David was out on one of those nights in Psalm 8 when he said, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. And when I look at your heavens, at the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? And yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and you have crowned him with glory and with honor. So our response, I think, twofold to really, when we understand the image of God is one, just to bow in awesome worship. God, who are we that you would treat us in such glorious ways? So awe and worship. And I think our second response is that those who understand that all people bear the image of God ought to be the first ones in line when it comes uh, to defending the rights of others, when it comes to stopping bullying, when it comes to stopping racism, when it comes to meeting the needs of the poor or the overlooked, that it's those who understand the image of God and how blessed we are. We're blessed so that we can bless others. We are reflecting God's goodness as he's been good to us. We're gonna make sure that we are good to others, even referees at the Northwestern game. Like the challenge there is, is to be good to, to those around us. So we worship and then we're called to love and reflect his image and his glory. And so that's why we're here. But then the second point on the outline there is, okay, well, you just look around and we're not seeing this happening, okay? Um, we're, we're not seeing this. We don't live in a world, in fact, I was checking the news real quick this morning on the Press Citizen app on my phone, and the first three stories were things like, we need to increase training uh, to prevent sexual harassment in our schools. Uh, The second one was about a murder of an 18-year-old in Cedar Rapids. The third one, I'm forgetting right now, but just like right away, it's like, yes, something's not happening. Like if this was God's design, if we were to be his image bearers, 
and be in awe and worship of him for that and then treat each other as co-image bearers. What's gone wrong? And so you turn to Genesis 3 in the Bible and you see that people are fallen rebels against God's design. That God has intended this, that we be his image bearers, uh, but yet we have, we have offended him. We have rebelled against this design. If you look at Genesis 3, and we don't have time to unpack it today, but the first sin was when the first man and woman embraced and believed three lies. They're the same, same lies that we battle. We'll battle them this week. We'll battle them today. And the three lies are that God is not good. He's holding out on you. He's, he's, he's not going to be as good to you as you could probably be on your own. So God isn't good. Uh, there aren't consequences if you go against God's plan. You can sin and it's no big deal. And the third lie is that we can be like God. We can basically decide our own fate. We can decide what's good or, or bad and just basically chart our own course and things will work out. And so that has had devastating results on man's ability, mankind's ability to reflect the image of God. And so what happens there is the Bible tells us in Isaiah 59 too, is that our sins have separated us from our God. And so where our identity was to be grounded in God and that he, you know, we're created in his image, that's been fractured. So we've got a fractured view of ourselves and now we have a fractured view of the people around us. I have a, a daughter who uh, it's just in the last couple years of her high school career has loved running. And so cross country has been a new thing to her and she loved it last year, her junior year, but this year, her senior year, uh, early on in preseason practicing, her shins were hurting and we thought, okay, maybe this is just shin splints and, and you wait a couple weeks and they don't go away and the pain is getting worse and so we're finding she has stress fractures that again, she can walk and she's fine but she is not able to do what she would love to do. And it's the same way. The image of God is still there. And there's, we'll talk about this in a little bit. It's not like God's, uh, the, the ability for us to know God and to reflect God has disappeared. It's still there. But our ability to do that, to experience that and do it has been fractured. Okay. So, so when we reject God, we reject our whole, uh, you know, identity as being image bearers. And, and I think you see that that's where we start identifying ourselves again, by what we do or where we live, instead of ultimately identifying ourselves as being loved by God. Uh, the Huffington Post did a study that I think is just, it's a, it's a great case exhibit of what I'm talking about. They, they uh, revealed a study that was done by UCLA actually. And I guess every 10 years, they've surveyed incoming freshmen at colleges on campuses all over our country. And so every, every 10 years, they look for trends. And these were the four trends of the incoming class in the year of 2015. Number one at the top of the list is that there is a decreasing belief in God. So there's a, again, a rejection of the existence of God and you would assume with that then this whole concept of the image of God. So number one, less belief in God. And listen to the three other big traits that followed. Number two, there is more depression and anxiety linked with far less social interaction. But if you take away your identity of being loved and cared for by the creator of the universe, created to be in relationship with others, you take that out, is it any surprise that anxiety, depression, less social interaction as a result. But that was number two. Number three is that there are more cases of drug addictions and problems. In fact, addiction treatment centers on universities have skyrocketed from 10 to 135 in that 10-year period. Again, is that a surprise? 
that, that if you take away our significance and value being that we're creating the image of God, as Pascal said, that there's a God-shaped vacuum in every heart that only God can fill. And if God is removed, then we're going to look for anything we can to satisfy and fill the longings of our heart. And the fourth one, again, this is just staggering too, is, is a rampant increase in sexual violence. Again, if our identity is not in God, if we're looking for fulfillment elsewhere, and if the way we view others is not as image bearers, then it's very easy for, for particularly men to view women as objects of their pleasure. So again, less belief in God, more depression, more anxiety, more drug abuse, and more sexual violence. And so we see that, that there's, when there's fractures in our identity with God, there's going to be fractures in our relationships with other people. We're really designed to love God and worship God. And then when we understand who God is, that, that out of his love for us, we're really designed to love and care for others. But when you take away love for God, what you have then is that we, we reject God, we love ourselves, and we'll end up using people to meet the needs that really God is intended to meet. And so it's interesting, even... Uh, even secular philosophers will look at the concept of the image of God and see the link between what has been taught for many years in many cultures about the dignity of humanity because of the image of God. But when you remove that, what could happen? Um, Frederick Nietzsche is one of those. He's a German philosopher. He's famous for making the proclamation that God is dead. So Nietzsche died in 1900. As far as I know, God's still alive. But he's the guy that made that statement that God is dead. Okay, this was his comment, and he probably had to puke in his mouth when he said it. But he said this, he acknowledged that the concept of all the equality of all souls before God is the foundation of all theories of human rights. In fact, any, any theory of a human right traces back to that Christian teaching of of equality of all souls before God. There's a French atheist, philosopher Jacques Derrida, who said that the concept of a crime against humanity is a Christian concept. And I think there would be no such thing in the law today without the Christian heritage, the Abrahamic heritage, and the biblical heritage. And so, again, objectively, even these atheists look at, here's teaching of God, uh, image of God, here's its impact over cultures uh, for centuries. In fact, in general, you can look and see wherever the image of God is upheld, in general, human rights are guarded and protected there. But we're living in a day, and even we're living in a country, where when belief of God begins to increase, you can expect the, the parameter of uh, protection of human dignity and human rights will continue to shrink and get smaller and smaller. In fact, Matt Chandler makes a powerful statement when he says this, when the image of God is rejected or misunderstood, it is the most vulnerable who are abused and who are consumed. Let me just say that again. When the image of God is rejected or misunderstood, it is the most vulnerable who are abused and who are consumed. And the biggest brunt of this will fall on women and on children. I've mentioned this already, but for example, in our world today, women, when they are not viewed as being in the image of God, oftentimes can become objectified as sexual objects. Uh, the rampant increase in sexual violence and the use of pornography is just off the charts. Every second, there's over $3,000 spent on porn worldwide. Um, every second, there are over 28,000 people downloading porn online. There are 40 million people today in our world who are in the throes of human trafficking, being taken into slavery, and over three-fourths of those are for sexual purposes. 
So the rights of women are being trampled on. Uh, the dignity and care for children is just is being trampled on. If you look globally at the statistics of poverty, of hunger, of malnutrition, of premature births, children are clearly at the top of that list. And again, when you begin to talk about the image of God, um, another, and I just want to say this topic very gently and very carefully, um, but the whole concept of abortion as well, that I think that's a, that's a topic that's impacting both women in ways that is not often taught or acknowledged, as well as clearly the unborn. There are 46 million who are aborted every year, 130,000 every day. I, there's a whole new organization I became aware of this week. Um, write this down and look it up. It's called the Women's Rights Without Frontiers. The organization is called Women's Rights Without Frontiers. The woman who leads uh, this organization is named Reggie Littlejohn. She is a graduate from Yale Law School. She's a has been a consultant to the White House, the United Nations, um, the Parliament in um, in England, and uh, our State Department. And what she is raising awareness of is the effects of the one-child policy of the Chinese government on women and children in China. Uh, and her cause is to rescue girls from forced abortions, from sex selection uh, caused by this one-child movement. And so in China alone, 23 million abortions a year. So that's half the world's abortions are happening there. And again, it's because of this government policy that is not viewing people in the image of God, but instead is, is, is controlling who is valuable in their country and who is not. And here's one of the most devastating things. So many times when the issue of abortion is brought up, I feel like the guilt and shame is laid at the feet of the woman who is in the unplanned pregnancy when really, um, write down this name too, there's a man named John Rankin that has connected the dots that in many times and in many ways, abortion is more of an issue of male chauvinism, of men who are irresponsible with their sexuality and instead of you know, committing to love with a woman, committing to raise a child who is just totally out of the picture. Male irresponsibility, male chauvinism is, is front and center. And so again, when, when research has been done, okay, so now you have a whole country where induced abortion is being pushed on a population. And now, so there's been the ability to study the impacts on women. What happens when this happens? And guys, this is, this is devastating here, but, but a woman who has one induced abortion, one thing they've noticed is that the, the breast cancer rates in China have just escalated. That a woman who's had one induced abortion, her chances of incurring breast cancer go up 44%. When there's two, it goes up to 76%. When there's three, goes up to 88%. Again, when the image of God is rejected, the most vulnerable are the ones who are abused and consumed, and that brunt falls hard on women and on children. And, and that's wrong. That's just completely wrong. And so what we got to watch for here, though, too, is it's so easy to just look at the big things like this and, and to start pointing our fingers at racism and genocide and and abortion and, and kids suffering and, and just look at the problem out there. The deal is the problem is in here too. Like how many times this week did you just size somebody up because of what they looked like? Or how many times this week did you gossip about somebody or you got mad at whoever cut you off? Or my big deal is who's slowing me up when I'm in a checkout line? Like, come on, can't you learn to count? Like, can't you? Like the instant snap judgments we make of people because they are in our way and we are not seeing them as being uh, co-image bearers, that we bear the image of God. And so, 
and so do they. Guys, this gets very dark in a hurry. We start looking at our own hearts and we just look at how we truly size up other people and it's a very dark place. That's why, like I said earlier, the hero of this morning is gonna be Jesus Christ because Jesus is the one who steps in. We are a people who are redeemed by the gospel, okay? We are redeemed by Jesus. Uh, he uh, lived with his father in heaven. This was a couple weeks ago. Jeff talked about who Jesus is. Eternally existed with his father in the past, but when it came time for us to need a savior, he willingly came to this earth and took on a human body. You want to talk about another way you dignify us as humans created in the image of God. Jesus dignified us by becoming one of us and living among us. And the verse that John read earlier, God demonstrates his love for us in this and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. It's the same heart of God you saw in Genesis 1 when all we did was show up and he blessed us. Now it's even, it's even worse. Like now we show up and we're broken, sinful men and women who have rejected the image of God and we're treating others, creating his image like crap. God sees that and all we have to offer him is our sin and Jesus came and died for us. You see the love of God even expanded and we see it more fully that not only did he bless us when we showed up, but he blesses us with the gospel when we are sinful men and women. So um, we can be rescued by Jesus, putting your faith in Christ. Your sins are forgiven. And so here's the other thing. The gospel means that we don't have to hide from God in shame for the many ways that we've broken from his design. Uh, we don't have to hide in shame for sexual sin or how we've hated other people or how we've been racist or how we've been greedy or how we've been selfish or how we've been gossips. Instead of just holding back, we can just run to God because he sees, he sees those things in our hearts and he still had Jesus come to redeem us and rescue us. In fact, you're not gonna be rescued from those things until you bring them out, until you, 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 you let them be exposed by the truth of God's love and his forgiveness at the cross. It's some of the most powerful conversations I've had um, with men over the last couple of years are men who have hidden for many years a sexual addiction to whatever, pornography or whatever, who then because of the gospel are free to bring that in the light. And to hear those men describe the freedom of being truly rescued um, and restored in this concept of the image of God and how they're now seeing themselves and now how they're seeing the people in their lives. So we are rescued by Jesus. We are rescued, I'm sorry, we are reconciled by Jesus. Let me just read some verses from 2 Corinthians 5. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. This is like a Genesis 1 reset. Okay, we were creating the image of God. We, we broke off that Im image of God when we sinned, we rebelled. We have a fractured way that we relate to God now and the way we relate to others. But through Christ, we are new creations. The old is past, the new has come. Verse 18, and this all from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their transgressions against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Guys, that squares us back up with who are we now? We are forgiven by Christ. We are reconciled with God. We are back in relationship with him. And now our mission in life is to go and make sure that everybody understands that they too can be reconciled with God. God has shown his love for them through Christ who died for them, okay? So that's we can be reconciled by Jesus. Then we can be recreated by Jesus. And one more verse we're gonna look at, Ephesians 2.10. It 
and twice in here you're going to see creation mentioned okay Ephesians 2:10 for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do okay that first word we already talked about the word workmanship that you are God's masterpiece his his work of art that that we are God's workmanship and then the second creation word follows right after it we are recreated in Christ for the purpose of good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. We are restored then as image bearers, connected with God, his masterpiece, but then also now commissioned to go and live good works. He's already planned for you to do. And it's so clear, this is so from God. This is not you earned this or deserve this, but it's just like created, show up, God bless you. Now it's the same thing. Through Christ, um, you are his workmanship, and there you are recreated to do good works that God has prepared uh, for you to do. And so really now as believers, what God is doing in our lives is to conform us more and more into the image of Christ. He is recreating us to become more and more like Jesus. So in our, in our actions, in our attitudes, and in the way that we treat other people. And you look throughout history, it's been God's people who understand this new calling, our new identity in Christ, that then move forward and, and begin to reflect once again the image of God. So, so many historic examples of Christians. For example, uh, when the Dred Scott case was decision decided in 1857, one of the most horrible decisions the Supreme Court ever made to, to continue to withhold rights of the African-American Dred Scott, of the two justices that voted for Dred Scott to get his rights back. One was a, was a strong believer, Justice John McLean, who made this statement, a slave is not mere chattel. He bears the impression of his maker and he is destined to an endless existence. It was the truth of the image of God that propelled him to fight against you know, the atrocities of, of slavery. I think of even in our current day, some of our ministry partners that are out there just on the front lines that we pray for and we support ministries like Rafa House in Cambodia that are rescuing young girls from the throes of sex, sex trafficking in Cambodia. I think of Choices Clinic here in Iowa City that's just coming alongside and counseling women in unplanned uh, crisis pregnancies. I think of the work that many of you are involved in, either personally or financially at Faith Academy, where we're taking kids who, you know, many of these kids might be overlooked by our society or the prospects of them doing well in school, but then you set them in a context with smaller classrooms, with a faith-based education. If you've ever been to Faith Academy before, the students are referred to as scholars. <laughs> so the teachers and all the workers there say scholars. And so the, the identity is grounded in, in their worth and value uh, as image bearers. And so those kids are respected and taught the truths of who they are in Christ. And we're seeing them flourish and doing well. And again, that's, that's a, a, a great example. There are many ways I see you as God's people living out the truth that all people are image bearers. All people are deserving of respect and dignity in our prayers and our love. And all people are deserving of hearing about who Jesus is and who they can be in Christ. And so um, I just, I pray that we just continue to be a church that can live out th this f amazing truth of us being created in the image of God, both for ourselves to live with a confidence and a boldness and a security that we're not afraid because we know we're loved by God. We're created in his image. 
and that we are the first ones in line in this city and around the world to stand in the gap on behalf of those who are oppressed and those who are cheated against and defrauded and uh, abused, that we are the ones who are there uh, bringing the message of reconciliation. Let me pray. Let me pray for us as we wrap up. Uh, Father, this this topic is like a roller coaster. We can go to such heights of just how amazing it is that you made us for your workmanship. You love us. You bless us. That's amazing. And then we're also just kind of ashamed and even personally the way we contribute to the very dark places we can go when we reject the truth that other people are created as image bearers. And Thank you, Jesus, that you are the hero of this morning, that you're the one who forgives us for the things we have said and done in those dark places. And you are the one that restores us into our relationship with our Father so that we truly can live as image bearers, that live as sons and daughters loved by God, the Creator, and that we can be the first ones in line to make sure we are defending the rights of the people around us, the dignity of the people around us. God, I thank you for a church where I see many of these things already happening, and I thank you for your grace and patience with the church where we could do that more, and that you're going to take us to those places. So God, you are awesome. We praise you. We thank you. We are privileged image bearers. It's in your great name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 52245.